Welcome to Mirapod Taste Buds. We are your buds, Emily and Melissa. This is a podcast about food, our daily lives, and how they intersect. Because Mirapod is the building blocks of flavor that elevate life. Today's episode is all about French pastries. Yum! So what are we vibing on tonight? Tonight we are drinking a red blend from Portugal. Uh, it's actually called Stones and Bones. That was part of our lovely wine club wine subscription. Box. Yeah. So <laughs> we actually really dig this one. It's super tasty. It has like a berry forward thing to it, but gives you terrible wine mouth. Mm. So <laughs> like nothing so, you've ever seen before. Just but. put on some dark lipstick and power through. <laughs> <laughs> Our best recommendation. But also highly recommend the wine box like subscription things. If you get those little like coupon things with HelloFresh or whatever. Yeah, they are pretty worth it. We got a, a sweet deal. Definitely. Put some salt on that. That is a tip right there. Yeah, that yeah. is some salt. Mm-hmm. A sustainable, affordable life tip for you. Mm-hmm. So we just wanted to pause really quickly and just thank all of you guys who have been listening and hopefully following along with us. We've been having a ton of fun doing this and have a lot of great ideas for content going forward. So if you enjoy listening to us and hearing our voices, we really appreciate it. So feel free to like comment share anything subscribe yeah subscribe for <laughs> sure and um, we have a lot of new forms of content that we're trying to kind of get out right now so we took a little bit of a little break but we're definitely ready for more so let's get cooking sorry if she's rough <laughs> yeah there's gonna be some rough stumbles some ums some edits that didn't happen that should have happened but just be patient bear with us <laughs> <laughs> decided to talk about this just because we have been eating so many French pastries and (laughs) possibly too many possibly too many I have always wanted to make croissants Mm. Um, it's been something I've wanted to do for a very long time and I still have not achieved it I've just started really getting into making bread in the last like year anyway COVID Um, habit (laughs) yeah I wanted to pre-COVID that was like my gift to myself was some or what I asked for for Christmas, actually, that I was lucky enough to get two cookbooks for baking bread. So, and then I couldn't find yeast anywhere because the pandemic hit and it was just insanity, which was funny and ironic. Everyone's doing it. It's the cool thing to do suddenly. <laughs> <laughs> like the oldest thing in the book. <laughs> yeah, classic as book. Um, but yeah, so found found some yeast finally, started getting into bread making, wanted to make croissants. Uh, I love bread in general. Like that's my favorite food is like bread and cheese very French at heart yes (laughs) but we moved to a city that's got quite a bit of French influence in in St. Louis so it's kind of cool to check out a new food scene and and get acquainted with new restaurants and um one of the first things we wanted to get acquainted with was some some pastries 100 (laughs) percent yeah um I think some of my other favorites I love like macaroons I love madeleines I'm I'm not a huge creme brulee fan but I do like it I appreciate it I'm more for like the bready kind of pastries. Yeah, that texture. Texture is not my favorite. Custards and creams in general. I'm just like "Mm, miss me, but I'm here for all that. So (laughs) yeah, you you can have all that. (laughs) You can have all of that. (laughs) 
So luckily when we first moved here, we found uh, Patisserie Choquette. I'm probably not saying it right. I'll probably say everything French wrong in We're this gonna episode. We're going to butcher like every French word yeah. in this episode. Embrace it. Accept it. <laughs> tell us about it later. Don't come for me. Alyssa, yeah. don't judge me because I know you will. <laughs> we like to eat them, okay? Yes. Not pronounce them. Um, Facts. Yeah, I was saying canelle wrong for a very long time. Mm. Just saying canel. <laughs> like, I don't know if you can make the it sound butchered m- American way. American and horrifying. Canelle. <laughs> and yeah, so loved a lot of them and thought, always thought they were like unattainable at home. And yeah. now I'm realizing like these are achievable goals. It just takes a lot of, of patience, practice, and definitely like a spirit of, of fun and spontaneity and curiosity. So yeah. I'm going to make croissants very soon. You will see them on the gram. Until I do, well, I'll be sad, but <laughs> we'll keep them very well hidden until they're perfected. Yeah, correct. There will be some failed batches that will not make it to the internet. Yeah. I think that's such a thing of baking, though, in general. It's always, like, seems so much more intimidating than it has to. Definitely. But it definitely is involved and, like, can take all day. That just reminded me of the John Oliver sketch where... Rachel Ray just keeps saying her sister's the baker. She hates to bake. Oh, my God. (laughs) My sister's a fabulous baker. (laughs) That's what I say. That's me. (laughs) I related way too much. I never really thought I was much of a baker until I started baking bread, which, like, is kind of weird. But you're a very specific baker because you are a bread baker. Yeah, Which is, like, a whole different class. Like, you don't really make sweets. No, I don't love sweets. That's why I think I also enjoy a lot of French pastries because a lot of the times it's not heightened. It's not super sweet. Yeah. It's also not, like, very, like chocolatey sweets a oh, lot of times like, there, there are a, plenty of them but i mean the yeah. highlight of that is almost more so the, the bread, bread and the butter you know <laughs> yeah, like the the butter, <laughs> the butter mm. is really what's shining through in french pastries i think yeah. it's so much of it is like you know puff pastry and yeah definitely. um you know sugar and stuff like that so mm-hmm. i think that's interesting a lot it of is. fruit on pastries too yeah it's interesting because it really is like the same kind of three ingredients you see pretty much like over and over, just like different combinations or like couple ingredients, I guess, because it's like sugar, flour, butter, sugar, <laughs> flour, butter, eggs, <laughs> sugar, flour, butter, eggs. And it's like just in a different combination yeah. with different variations and it produces completely like different results, which is pretty amazing and pretty cool. Kind of horrifying. <laughs> there is the science to it. It is a little bit of science. It's way too fun. much chemistry. That's why I, I think that. I don't vibe with it. Oh my God. No, that's like the fun stuff. <laughs> I don't understand enough of it yet. I need to probably, I was literally Googling podcasts about like the science of cooking and I did not see enough of them. So perhaps there's a hole in the market. (laughs) Someone fill it for me or, or help guide me. I need another scientist to join me so I can talk about the food things that I see and then they can explain it. (laughs) If anyone knows that person, find me. (laughs) But what's kind of cool about French pastries is how much you have to delve into like the history of like cooking and like restaurant eating as we know it today because I was started researching this and it became this whole of just being like what like this is where this originated from it kind of just like blew my mind mm-hmm. um because technically the origin of the word dessert is from the French servir, which is to clear the table which kind of began in like the 17th century which when you think about it isn't that long ago no it's really not like the whole Can't concept remember. of like sweets at the end was not really a thing that just did not exist um I mean there was definitely like different courses that sweets were like interspliced in there yeah which is weird because they were like these in-between courses that had sweet in there but the end of the meal being reserved for this course was not what we know it today yeah so it's so weird to think of like the palate without sugar in general i think so much you know like so much of 
what we understand about dessert and sweets now is really driven by colonization. Yeah. And like the history of the world. Yeah. If we hadn't come to the Americas, you never would have, you know, seen sugar change the world the way the world is yeah. there's a really cool anthropo anthropological book god that's um, a mouthful of word it anthropological. is a, it's a mouthful it's a welcome one. to my life uh, <laughs> <laughs> written by an american anthropologist named sydney mintz called the sweetness and power and it's basically all about how sugar changed how we looked at the world mm-hmm. um as soon as we came to the americas it kind of just changed palates all of a sudden we were having you know tea and or, uh sugar and tea and stuff like that yeah which was um, not which a was thing just before. was totally passe before and yeah. like you were saying like it wasn't well, was it passe or was it well it not wasn't heard of. around yeah yeah it was co- completely unheard of and also it was un- obscenely expensive yeah decadent. Um, you know that was more so the thing even like when we did come to the Americas yeah. for a very long time. It was very expensive to be able to afford sugar. And so they were having sugar at all these really lavish feasts by the kings and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and like they, I read an article that was talking about how sugar was literally on just like savory dishes back then. It wasn't even they're just really. Like, sprinkle it on yeah, some they're meat. like, put it on anything. Just let the people know that we're rich. We have sugar. Yeah, we have sugar here. <laughs> What's that here? sweetness on oh. this? <laughs> cover, the, cover the chicken with <laughs> the hens, the Cornish hens. So, yeah, so that was, like, funny to me to think of that as just, like, the ultimate status symbol. Yeah, sprinkle some on. Yeah, and then as soon as, like, refining sugar became that. easier, then you saw it creeping into basically, like, salons, you know, and just, like, in the home. And yeah. And it was, became much more Common regular place. and commonplace, and that kind of evolved desserts. Yeah. So in, like, the 1600s, and, and things are kind of evolving and changing around that period of time, obviously. We're kind of talking, like, late 15th century kind of, too, where it's really, like, starting to become common, more commonplace that you're seeing it. Mm. Um, it. Originally in like the 1800s even, dessert still kind of meant like fruits, jams, and cheeses and was like just starting to incorporate like more pastries and actually be served at the end of the meal. Mm-hmm. Which like the middle of the 1800s, like that is not long ago either. Like that's crazy to me also that that's yeah. when that kind of started being more of the regular norm. But I don't know if I like it better or worse with desserts being like more interspersed with the meal or at the end. I almost like don't have enough room sometimes at the end, and I wish that I had had it a little earlier. <laughs> it's true. It's very true. Yeah, and like it was a palate cleanser then. <laughs> I like that it's like this little moose bouche that comes out like in the middle of the meal. It's yeah. like, oh, what's this? Surprise. Yeah, <laughs> some fruit. Yeah, but as you were kind of saying too, it was kind of this response to revolutionary changes that were access to the food, like food outside of the home, even mm-hmm. was like changing because mm-hmm. you like really only ate at home, or if it was like a lavish. Like, banquet style buffet style meal and that was kind of where it started to change where you could actually go and sit and be a patron at a restaurant and pay money to have something that suited your taste prepared for you Mm. which is the birth of like the modern restaurant as we know it so crazy to think of that not really existing it's like you probably had like a tavern where you had ale mm-hmm. but like that was probably mm-hmm. it. and there's like, some like things that got like passed around pie, yeah at pies. communal tables you didn't go yeah. to like reserve your table at Shea whatever you know yeah. like, it just became this more no date nights back then huh? <laughs> not the same as now that's for sure <laughs> I think it also was really surrounding on like the rise of cookbooks and chefs too that really made it center around like French cooking um definitely with like the aristocracy and like the pomp and the decadence of it was like this big show for, for what dessert was, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, 
Because, like, now, I mean, we just kind of think of it as sort of commonplace, you know? But back then, like, this was a big to-do. Half the time, the desserts they were making weren't even, like, fully edible. They were, like, architectural reproductions of things that were so elaborate and made out of all these, like, fancy sugars and caramelized things that it would be very uninviting to actually bite into some of these. Because it would be like, (laughs) how am I supposed to actually eat this? I don't know. And they'd be making, (laughs) like, literally really fancy really bougie serving things for like possibly like towers of fruits or like pyramids <laughs> of fruits became very popular for a while there where it was just Gotta like display it yeah you, it was all about display yeah. and like the visual appeal and visual it was stimulation all performance back then i feel it like totally, everything you did it totally <laughs> was it definitely had this rise of like the elite and bourgeoisie public that were just also kind of like biting into this, kind mm. of like riffing off of it also and kind of mixing in their ideas of like how to use these sugars too because they're new. So it's kind of like these like old world traditions kind of mixing in with totally new ideas of how to use this ingredient that's like blowing up. For sure. Which is wild. <laughs> but it's wild to think that like that's when sweet and savory kind of became more distinct and it was just kind of this like mishmash of like thrown in there. Yeah. <laughs> experience. Straight up. The rise of refrigeration being like so important Mm -hmm. obviously also to keep like the butter at the right temperature and things for some of these pastries and these desserts like it's extremely crucial to have that be available to you and even um like ovens as we know it because we were using like wood burning stoves which are just so much more unpredictable i didn't even think about that i mean i feel like baking is always so precise on the measurements the machinery the temperatures so that i can't even imagine trying to cook totally consistently (laughs) Yeah. Well, that was one of the things that also led to the rise of like frozen desserts were huge in the eight, like 18th century to like the 19th century, late 19th century. It was just like a huge deal to have these frozen confections. So we actually went to the Campbell house and they had a ton of these like ice cream molds when we were there. And I was like, that's so weird. There was a bunch of different shapes, a bunch of different animals. It just seemed strange. Yeah. But like after I read that, I was like, that makes total sense. Like this is the most exciting thing. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, look at this frozen freaking chicken that's like they would tint it with like powdered food dyes too so it'd be like a different color and it, that, i think that just blew people's minds i that's saw a pretty diagram mi- it's pretty like, mind-blowing oh, it now is. it is in today's world it absolutely is <laughs> let alone back then when you like barely had a freezer like it yeah. was really just ice in an ice box you know it definitely <laughs> looks like art i feel like it's like what is this yeah 100 <laughs> percent. which is pretty cool the molds were actually made out of pewter and also lead which i was like mm, yikes no wonder mm-hmm. yeah no longer <laughs> but it's funny because in the beginning people kind of poo-pooed at desserts and were like oh that's not real cooking and then <laughs> it kind of became this thing where it was just as respected if not more so because it became this like specialized skill yeah i think that's so funny because it i it takes a special person to be like a a dessert baker to me you Mm -hmm. know like not everyone can do it that's funny they also like would sometimes shape the desserts to look like vegetables and fruits like some of the mold (laughs) pictures i saw it was like an onion or like a turnip or something it's like what this literally looks like a blob (laughs) that's incredible that's what i would do yeah eat eat your veggies kid there was was something else that joked about like making things look like a ham and then during lunch you could still eat a ham like no confectionery i go back to this thing where i i stand by it i don't like foods that look like other foods but taste like a different food you i know, know I, mean? I don't agree with we that. saw a ham cake in like a food network magazine this week looked awesome. and it looked awesome but i don't my mind can't do those mental leaps <laughs> it just can't i don't want to think about ham while i'm eating a cake that's but just but not that's like a, flavor profiles that i want to combine 
I love that weird stuff. Give me all that weird trendy crap. No. <laughs> so dessert kind of continues to evolve to what we know today also, where it kind of goes through some changes as even like the French Revolution is happening and economic situations change. And it, those, those forces kind of impact society and chefs. So they kind of have to simplify from these really grand, grand displays of things to kind of more restricted, more refined kind of techniques that are a little bit more commonplace, which I think is kind of almost kind of a blessing because you Mm. kind of see it merge more with the general public and kind of it kind of goes through like an irreversible transformation where the two kind of have to meet with like extreme decadence and also like functionality of like, can I eat this pastry still? Yeah, we need some middle ground. (laughs) Yeah, find some middle ground. Exactly. Uh, It's definitely like a high cuisine that has like some familiar dishes that kind of become this quintessential French pastry dessert confection concept so and like sugar does become this item that we cannot remove from our diets yeah it just becomes becomes ingrained in everyday life which i think is so interesting you know the Mm -hmm. cost of it goes down the accessibility goes up and all of a sudden it's in every household you know in europe yeah pastries really become like the bee's knees partly due to like that refinement of baking techniques and the refrigeration equipment that we kind of talked about Mm -hmm. the gas oven really becomes popular in like the 1890s becomes more available and in the 1850s, the mechanical refrigeration really allowed for butter to be kept at optimal temperatures. So all mm. three of these things kind of combined in this like perfect storm of like sugar's availability, all these things happening <laughs> to be like the baking. Perfect storm. Yeah, perfect storm for the perfect everywhere. pastries. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know that it kind of is interesting because the French cooking is kind of the standard that people used to measure all cooking up against. Yeah. And I, we were kind of talking about, like, why is that? Why is that the way that it went? Um, and, again, I think it's kind of this, like, perfect storm of combinations where, like, cookbooks were becoming popular, chefs were popular in, in high court. It really showed how rich you were and your status to have, like, the best pastry chef or the best chef in your home. And they would yeah. just put on these, like, decadent, opulent, lavish displays and really, like, elevate cuisine to a new level. But the French were also using a ton of different techniques that were just creating all these different textures, both in meats and vegetables. So mm. flambéing, braising, poaching, sautéing, these are all kind of French techniques. They literally were, like, writing the book. Yeah, they were kind of <laughs> writing the book. And they were sharing these things. And because they think they're also located in such a place where they're touching so many other cultures, yeah. yeah, very centralized, I feel like it was really easy for that to just be like, whoa, look at what's going on over here. This is the highest standard right now. The best restaurants are all French. And then that kind of just became like, well, what's the best? It's French. I feel like the French like aristocracy too, just had such pull, you know, Mm -hmm. like you were, they were just such a presence at the time um, that they had a lot of sway and that they, they kind of could command the space in that way. They also kind of talked about what makes something the best. And it's like (laughs) the flavor, the creativity, the color, the smell, And I also love that there's something kind of modern, rooted in traditional. Even like cooking now, a lot of things are still kind of rooted in these traditional methods and things like that, which is is really cool. Uh, There's definitely a lot of influence in in America and different countries across the world, Vietnam. um, The list goes on and on. I mean, even in Mexico, they were saying there was like kind of a strong influence, which I thought was kind of an interesting one I don't usually think of. But I love that these techniques kind of is what kind of solidified it and makes it actually like legitimate a little bit more. I'm a huge fan of, obviously, as I said, cheese and bread and butter and herbs and olive oil. That's like the French staples. And I'm yeah. like, that's all I need. <laughs> yeah, I think their, their staples helped it become like a good cornerstone too because it's literally just like 
such basic things that pretty much everyone had yeah. and they found a way to make it luxury totally. you know <laughs> there's also this emphasis on like fresh and local ingredients there where like you go to the baker and you get your bread every day like yeah you have which i think eggs. is still yeah. a very much so a key piece of french culture today even they talked about a little bit now how things have changed and how in the last like 50 years the french have been less of what people look to for the standard they kind of say it's the end of its 300 year reign which is kind of wild but with the rise of like modernist and more molecular gastronomy mm. and kind of more like chemistry cooking which is yeah. which is interesting well, that's pretty wild it certainly and, has changed a lot I yeah the other thing they also kind of cited for its downfall was kind of that air of snobbery and decadence that was kind of just like a little bit too pretentious and a little <laughs> too bourgeois and a little too high end and now we're kind of trending more towards this like rise of like foraging and like farm to table where it's like yeah. these like smaller productions more intimate oh, so and like getting back to the salt and roots of the earth you know like yeah. that kind of stuff um, <laughs> and the rise of just globalization and the other it just opened up to all these other cuisines from around the world that are just having kind of their own renaissances their own, own moments yeah. exactly like all these things are being highlighted asian italian these cuisines are just like more celebrated more open i think and there's more accessible yeah, there's a big like ancestral cooking kind yeah, of movement and stuff like definitely. that i feel like now too and like definitely. trying to highlight those other cultures that aren't as mm-hmm. like ethnocentric I do kind of love that the idea of dessert, though, it's like it's completely non necessary. Like, these were not foods <laughs> you needed to survive I by don't any know means. About that. You got to feed the soul, baby. Okay, honey, bread could do that. You didn't need to go and bake a freaking tower of a Why cake. have just bread when you can have pano chocolate? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. But it became sort of this like demonstration of wealth and power, yeah. but also this like sense of visual pleasure. I like that it was literally a form of entertainment. Like that, mm. when the dessert would come out and everyone would be go, there would be a gasp. There would yeah. be an audible gasp around the room as everyone sees what's unveiled. And they're like, oh, what a marvel. Because it's not just something <laughs> you're even supposed to eat. You might even not be eating that. It might just be a fucking decoration for the goddamn table. That's and crazy. like that, that right there. Yeah, it's, it's That's art. That's too much. It's, but it's art. And yeah. that, that I appreciate. <laughs> of course you do. I think the other thing we have realized too is a, how decadent they can be. Yeah. And B, how much I still want to try to, to create that myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so one of the ones that I have tried to make in the last year, or two of them, I guess, I made Madeleines. They did not go very well. <laughs> um, I didn't put a lot of effort into them. I kind of was like, let's just do it. I'm making a huge dinner party. Why not just throw some Madeleines in there? The texture was not right. They tasted delicious. They looked okay. So it was a learning curve. I still need to try again. Um, definitely want to attempt again. They kind of have like a lovely lemony kind of pound cakey kind of like my favorite cake is seven up cake. So I don't really love things that are like over the top sweet, but I love like citrus notes in there. So for me, Madeline's are just yum. They're so delicious. It's like cake meets bread. You I think d- it's funny. You don't like things that are so sweet, but like that is like the butteriest. Oh, like. I love butter though. <laughs> yeah, I love it's like butter. Pound, like I don't really like pound yeah. cake and stuff like that, oh, but yeah, it's so heavy yeah, and, and it's delicious. It's so heavy. Um, and then I also made canelle, um, mm-hmm. which canelle, which I love to say is canelle, which is not the way you say it. <laughs> You're nailing it right now. Uh, canelle. yes. Canelle. 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 Yeah, I think it'd be like it's canelle. It is. Yeah. Uh, he said it in French several times. Then he said, mm-hmm. if you're American, you can say canelle, but... <laughs> Yeah, it's going to take me a million more times of saying it and listening to that French man repeat it. Can I hear it in a sentence? Um, (laughs) They're really 
something that I have grown to love and I will judge any French bakery on because they are a labor of love. After seeing them made, I was just incredibly impressed with the level of work you have to put into it. Um, the batter really needs to rest. Sometimes for 24 hours plus is, is honestly ideal. Uh, and the first time we made them, we made them at like four in the morning on <laughs> New Year's. And Jesus. we didn't even end up eating them yeah. um, because we were A, so tired, and B, they weren't perfect. <laughs> um, we The molds are cylindrical, and I guess canelé actually means fluted. Hmm. So they kind of look like these really pretty – someone likened them to Roman columns, and I was like, that's a little extreme. Yeah. But they are really beautiful and adorable looking. They have this like little perfect – shape to them so and they're incredibly brown and caramelized on the outside so they're made usually in copper molds sometimes they're tin plated copper um, some the rise of silicone is obviously more popular nowadays but a lot of people claim that you can't get a good canelle um, with with a silicone mold which i don't doubt because you do need this like really intense caramelization to happen on the crust um, usually line the mold with a little bit of beeswax and clarified butter. Um, some people just do butter. If you do too much and you don't evenly coat it, though, it'll pool at the bottom and then you'll have white tops on your cannelé, which has happened to me before and I did not know why. So I, I, when I read that, I was like, oh, duh. Um, also, if you don't let the dough rest long enough, it will balloon and puff up and there'll be like a really white like hula skirt at the bottom of your cannelé, which is really sad because they look really delectable from like the waist up, I guess. <laughs> the waist up. Yeah. So there's just a lot of ways it can go sideways, but when you get it right, it is so exciting and so delicious. And like knocking it out of that mold, is there's nothing better. Um, they kind of just like slide right out when they're greased right. But... In particular, they're just really delicious. They kind of have this like vanilla rum flavor. The inside is really more of like a custard. It's not really a cakey one. There are ones that come out kind of more cakey, but the traditional way, which is canals are from Bordeaux. So they actually like hold the secret, I guess, pretty tight there. They kind of like wrapped <laughs> it up to try to like, if you, you can only get like the certain ones there that really are authentic. Mm. Um, but I, I definitely can't wait to go to France just to try those because my God, they're probably stunning. Um, but they're just so delicious. There's nothing like it. The outside is like crispy and hard and caramelized. And then you just have this like really delicious, like uh, soft center. Um, so yeah, those were definitely a joy to make and experiment with. Um, I want to make some more of those, but they usually can bake anywhere from an hour to two hours, depending on the baker, depending on how dark you want them. I have seen them like looking straight up burnt they're still delicious and i've had some that are like pretty pale in color compared to that so it kind of is a, is a variety but super delicious i definitely recommend uh grabbing some if you have never tried one um it's a labor of love know yeah. that some time went into making that <laughs> and enjoy it and savor every second. way more time than i ever take to eat one so <laughs> <laughs> yeah That's the molds pretty are pretty expensive too so if you are investing in copper molds um we only had two that we were using at the time just because they are pricier, Yeah, um, which is kind of crazy. So, yeah, wow. you do all this work <laughs> for just, like, two tiny pastries that are over in two bites, and it's just it's, – it's funny. But decadent. Decadent nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of my kind of favorite French pastries is macrons. Mm. And every time I, I try to say this word, I always get confused because – there are macarons and there's macaroons. Mm -hmm. And I feel like 
my whole life, I have lived thinking that macaroons were what I was talking about, and I was wrong. <laughs> so the main difference between macarons and macaroons is like their main ingredient. So macarons is usually with almond meal, and macaroons mm. are with shredded coconut. Both are kind of originating from Italy, actually, so it's not even really French origins. Um, the, it's so funny. It's so quintessentially French in our minds, like, now, I feel like. When exactly. you think of, like, a French bakery, there's always macaroons in the window. Come on. Poor Italy. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we had it first. They have enough. Yeah. I mean, technically, theirs was a cookie made from, like, chopped almonds, egg whites, and sugar. Um, it was made without flour um for a really long time and was unleavened and that was kind of why it did so well in italy was because of um italian jewish people were eating them for passover so that was why it was great for them to be unleavened cookies at the time but um it also had kind of like arab origins because Hmm. that's where all the almonds were originating from in the eighth century which is kind of crazy so these are a really old pastry, I would yeah, say. <laughs> that's interesting. Um, but almond macaroons probably made their way to France around the 16th century, possibly by Catherine de Medici, who I guess oh. was married to Henry II. Yeah. Um, or it could have been from traveling nuns. More on shore. <laughs> One of the two. <laughs> um, but when the dried coconut became widely available in, in like the 19th century, um, bakers could kind of discover that they could swap almonds for coconut to make a sturdier cookie with longer shelf life. And so that's kind of when the famous almond meringue cookie with Parisian macarons um, happened and stuff like that. But yeah, the the macaroons are really more so a, a coconut version, but both are made with egg whites, granulated sugar, the basics. So what macaron is your favorite, your flavor? Oh, I mean, there's too many flavors flavors of macarons. I know, that's, I so, that's, that's why they're so beautiful is because they come in all those pastel shades. That's the best part, I think, about <laughs> macarons so Instagrammable. is that <laughs> they are in so many colors, yeah. so many flavors. You want to get the whole set that like mm-hmm. gives you a variety. Yeah. And they have just like such a weird, chewy, delicious texture to them. The last time I got is... them, the one I bit into was incredibly <laughs> dry and like oh, hard. No. And my partner had one other one, one and he bit into his and it was perfect. And he's like, do you want this one? And I was like, yes. I was like, please <laughs> give me the last bite of that good one because this one over here is not the shit. <laughs> no, it's not going to do it for you. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> that is too funny. But yeah, I think there's so many good ones. I always love like a pistachio macaron. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of, they usually do like some kind of like raspberry ones. I like a lot of those ones. They also usually do like a lavendery one. Big fans of both of those. Mostly just because the lavender one usually is purple. Sucker for that. I also love the lemon. Love my citrus. But yeah, pistachio <laughs> is honestly one of my favorites. Totally. I will always get a it's pistachio. It's a hands favorite. Mm. Fan favorite. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they originate from the Italian word mac macarone, I think is how they say it in Italy. And then the French had macaron. Um, and then the English adapted that, but basically we confuse it because there's so many (laughs) different origins and they're basically the same. Um, Hmm. but actually in the United States for a long time, they really only labeled it as, uh, macaroons for a really long time. And that's kind of why we have the confusion. Whereas in Paris, they don't call macaroons macaroons at all. (laughs) <laughs> They're called Rocher's Coco. So what? <laughs> so I don't know why we. What got are we doing? So off path, but 
Well, that's confusing. That is classic America. (laughs) I know we really have been trying to make croissants. Um, That one in particular, I always thought laminating the dough, which is basically the technique where you layer butter in and fold it over and over again and roll it out and layer and fold and kind of like make a giant butter patty. I thought that was like not possible to do for some reason at home without like more tools and then I like did more research and all these articles lately have been I swear they've been reading my mind but I keep getting (laughs) like here make some make some croissants at home by yourself and now I'm realizing it's like totally doable without much um, just dedication (laughs) so (laughs) that's my next quest though I actually kind of came from Austria, I think it was the Kipfel is what they kind of were saying. This like crescent breads that were kind of, they're kind of more cookie-like. They kind of look mm. like those crescent cookies that we make um, that are Polish at Christmas. Yeah. So, yeah, either way, very into it. It's probably I'll French origins with all the butter in those suckers. I know, <laughs> sincerely. Everything's just butter laden. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that's the next thing on my list. I know you found another one that you said you wanted to make. Yeah, the Queen Amon is what I'm interested in. It's dubbed the fattest pastry <laughs> in the world. Oh, I'm the butter queen which with I think that. is very interesting. Oh Some God. have also called it gold in butter, which I just what? think is Okay, I want it. Fantastic. You just said the magic words. Yeah, but basically this article said, think of a pastry as a sugary caramelized croissant, crispy on the outside and densely moist inside. The bready version of Kennelay's, a sophisticated Ooh. muffin. I'm intrigued. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The best part about this pastry to me is that it was probably an accident. People say that, like, (laughs) around the early 1800s, there was this French baker that was running out of desserts and was trying to, like, use leftover dough or or leftover bread. And he used that laminating technique to make um, (laughs) this Queen Amon and basically repeatedly folded butter into sheets of dough. And so, yeah, there's just, like, a crap ton of butter. Someone basically said the same thing with the cannelle that it was an accident too, where they just like left it in the oven too long and it got like, really whoops. caramelized and burnt on the outside. And they're like, oh no, but it tastes great. <laughs> so that just like proves that you should experiment more and just that have is fun cooking. With it. I mean, that's that is happens, baking too. Yeah. Like a lot of people are, just, I think, scared of it just because it does seem more difficult. But in the end, at the end of the day, like if you're having fun with it, yeah. screw it. Just make sure it's cooked through when you golden. Yeah. <laughs> it might still be edible. <laughs> Don't get salmonella on our account, but yeah, do not. <laughs> you take care now. <laughs> As we always do, let's uh, cheers to something fantastic. Right now, we are so blessed to be in our lovely apartment (laughs) looking out of these great windows at an awesome view. So we hope you guys are taking in a good view as well. But cheers to the ordinary and the decadent and the bridging of the two. Cheers. Cheers.